you want to create an organization where people are exposing their thinking. It's natural to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys all think? Versus all the reasons why we close the doors on our thinking because we're embarrassed or we're not sure, we don't want to be wrong. I'm just exposing my thinking. And now people judge me and talk. And that, those are all dysfunctions that we can fix. From Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs, it's Ideas Elevated, the podcast that elevates innovative entrepreneurs and their ideas. I'm Danielle Kahn, head of Lift Labs, and today we're sitting down with David Marquet. David is a retired U.S. Naval captain and author of best-selling book, Turn the Ship Around, who spent years managing nuclear submarines. Now, decades later, he's using the skills he learned 800 feet underwater to maneuver leadership in the workplace. In this episode, my colleague Luke Butler sits down with David to talk about his newest book, Leadership is Language. You'll hear how a naval commander learned to listen in a way that allows people to really speak up and push his decision-making to the team on the ground or underwater. We join David now, live at Lift Labs. You, um, just the latest in a series of nuclear submarine commanders that we've had on the show. Oh, really? Uh, no. <laughs> this, is, this is the first. But uh, how did you end up in, in the military? What was it about it that, that captured you? It's an uncool story. I, I went to high school in the 70s. I was a geek and an introvert. I was on the math team and the chess club, and we'd reenact the Battle of Waterloo and things like that. And I felt deeply and passionately about the the ideals of liberal democracy. And we were in this Cold War, which there was no there was no reason that we were going to win it, and there was no knowing that we were going to going to win it. And I felt like I said, "This we have to win this. We can't." let humanity go into this, be dominated by this other way of organizing humanity. We need to, we need a world where people can choose their profession, their spouse, their religion. Uh, So if you're a geek and an introvert and you decide that you're going to do your part, there's not a lot of options. Like you don't want to go in the army because that's scary. (laughs) And I was reading about submarines and like, oh, the job of the submarines is to hide from people. That's perfect (laughs) for me. So that's the path I went down. But even, you know, as a as an introvert, you you ended up on a path towards becoming a leader to to being a, a captain. Uh, Introverts can like, be leaders. What do you say? No, but, but it's not a natural like there must have been things that you would have to overcome. The traditional model of a of a captain in of a submarine, you think of as you know, loud, bossy, yes. extra. Like what did yes. you, how did you there end up in some, that position? There are a lot just like that. But well, like, well, how did you end up in that, in that uh, role? I was just really good at, uh, well, the irony is I was really good at my job and then I would tell people what to do and I would get them to do it and then I would get rewarded because the team would be would improve. And then I would go on to the next place and the team would regress back to the mean and I could point back and say, oh, look, see how important I was. <laughs> and, and because the Navy structure rewarded that, which by the way, I'm, I'm not saying that's the way to be, That's but that's how I got to that position, I kept getting promoted and they said, congratulations, you're going to be a submarine commander. And it all changed because for me, at the last minute, I went to submarine that I wasn't trained for, a brand new submarine, never seen before. And I show up, uh, by the way, worst morale, worst performance, uh, all these problems. And I show up 
with my traditional mindset. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm the captain now. I'm going to give orders. I'm going to be like these other guys. And it didn't work because I didn't know the ship. So I, I made a mistake and then it came to light and the officers would, would follow. That was the shocking thing. And so I had to create a system. The solution wasn't for me to, to give better orders. That was impossible in the kind of time frame before we, I'd kill us all. I, I needed to create a system where, where I wasn't ever having to give an order. In other words, I needed the team to lean into me. And so I got to get rid of my gas pedal. As a leader, you have a sense. You have a gas pedal. You're driving the organization forward. And you have a brake pedal. Every once in a while, I say, ah, hold on, hold on. Let's check, let's check where we're at. Let's, let's see if we need to make adjustments. At some point, you got to get rid of the gas pedal. Because as long as you say go, your team will most likely follow you. And you're making it harder for people to say, I don't think this is the right thing. I don't think we should launch the product next week. What you want to do is you want to have team where team where they're going and they're pushing so hard, you don't need a gas pedal. And so that's the magic of, I think, really, really high-performing teams. The, what happens when you do this is you separate the decision maker from the decision evaluator because they're making the decisions and you get to evaluate the way that you talk about it now and the way that you describe it in the book, it it's you know, it sounds logical and quick. It's like, oh, this <laughs> this isn't good. Like they're trying to follow an order that's literally impossible to yeah. to act on. And then so, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do it this new way. As you were leading those hundred and forty people, how did you communicate with them about this new approach you're gonna take? how did you get them on board with something that I would think is would be quite an alien thing to them, particularly in the military. You act your way to new thinking. This is where most change programs have it backwards. They say, oh, we're going to convince people to be different and blah, blah, blah. And then some, and then we'll cross our fingers and some different behavior will emerge from some pipeline long in the future. Uh, so what all we did was, and this was just, this wasn't a coherent plan. It was just fear and panic, basically. As I said, look, just come to me and say, tell me what you intend to do. I get to stop you. I get to ask questions. But I'm not going to come tell you what to do. So if you're an officer and you're taking the watch for the next six hours, there's guidelines on what the submarine is supposed to be achieving. But it's on you to come to me and say, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to steam from here to here. I'm going to surface the ship there. I'm going to load torpedoes here. You come to me with a plan. Because what you're doing is you want, you want initiative and you want thinking from them. You want to create an organization where people are exposing their thinking. It's natural to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys all think? Versus all the reasons why we close the doors on our thinking, because we're embarrassed or we're not sure, we don't want to be wrong. And that, those are all dysfunctions that we can fix. But it starts with this idea of, hey, I'm not going to tell you exactly step A, B, C. Is that a universally positive thing for the people that work for you? I mean, there, there are obvious, in this kind of old model of leadership, there are, there are obvious flaws. Yeah. But there are, you know, there's a job of a leader and there are, there's, there's a reason that that leader is elevated and compensated to, to do certain things that, that shouldn't be the responsibility of, of maybe more junior people. Well, there's a seduction to the old way. For, for, first of all, it's, it's very clear. It, it removes ambiguity very quickly. Uh, number two is... It always gives the subordinates an excuse. Oh, I was told to. Volkswagen engineers doing the diesel cheat. 
It's very hard to say, oh, yeah, no, that was my idea. I decided to do that thing. It's always the same. Well, we were Wells Fargo employees creating thousands of fake. Oh, well, it was uh, we either were directly ordered to or there was such an implicit ask to do this. It's this telling people what to do, what absolves them of the human responsibility for their decisions. But it's, so, but it's also the hard part because now when I say, well, what do you want to do? What are you going to do about that? You can't hide from the fact that it was you making that decision. If you don't want to do that, that's okay. We don't think worse of you. We will not make you a leader and I'll have that conversation. And I will be sad because I feel like, well, the team is deprived from the th unique things that you see and that you know and that you think that the rest of the team doesn't see and think and know. But that's your choice. Well, you can't order an empowerment. Yeah, I order everyone to be empowered. I mean, that is the most self-contradictory oxymoron I've heard ever. I order you to be empowered. Oh, okay. It doesn't seem very empowering now, does it? <laughs> so you you encourage people to come and say, here's here's what I what I intend to do. Not every suggestion, not every intention that they have is gonna be the right one. How do you coach and question people to get to a better solution? Or do you let them try it, fail, and and see for themselves why it was what was flawed in that approach? Yeah, this is the hard part of leadership. So we there's a company in, um, outside of London that makes food for infants and toddlers uh, called Ellis Kitchen. And they're a super fun group of people. The product team came and said, hey, we have a product. We want to try a new product. We, we want to bridge from where we want to get kids to be able to hold their own food. And so it's like a breadstick, but it can't be as hard as a breadstick. So... Anyway, it's sort of a big giant Frito cheese puff kind of a thing, but nutritious. And the management is like, ah, no, I don't, yeah. because it was hard to make and it required special shipping because it would break, blah, blah, blah. Management's like, okay, well, we'll let them have one. We, you know, we keep talking about them. Wait. It, a year later, biggest selling product, Melty Sticks, this product. <laughs> so you could be wrong, number one. Uh, number two, if it's not important, just let them do it. Just see what happens. I, I, approach it as an experiment. Say, okay, yeah, let's run that experiment for three months. Let's see what, don't say forever. I say, come back to me in three months and let, tell me what you learned, and then we'll make an adjustment. Now you put them in a learning, adaptive, agile, resilient mode. And number three, it's okay to say no. You don't have to agree. This is the genius of intent, not, it's called intent-based leadership, not just do-it-based leadership. I don't like that because I don't want to read in the newspaper that we just did something. We want to have a chance and we want to build the organizational habit of talking about stuff first because that exposes our thinking and allows people to have conversations. Hey, I'm thinking about blah, blah, blah. What do you guys all think? But you, you have full permission if you're the leader. You do have the brake pedal. So this you're invoking the brake. You do have veto power. You do have the brake pedal. And I think this is, for me, it was the perfect combination of allowing the team to feel a sense of proactivity, ownership, and control with safety. Because that, that brake pedal basically serves as a safety net underneath the trapeze wires, because you can always say, say no. You got to focus on ownership, not results. So you, you talk about 
you know, really the only person that you can change is yourself and, and the fact that leaders need to change how they interact with teams and, and where the various permissions lie. Are there things that team team members themselves can do to to influence that that environment? So how do teams themselves get the leader more comfortable with dissenting points of view or different points of view? Yeah. You know, if you're given a direction, how do you in reality you're not just going to say, well, that's wrong. We're going to do it this way. Right. You got to make it safe for the leader to hear what, hear that dissenting opinion. And, and if you have a leader who, who's running a typical industrial age play of building consensus, i.e. reducing variability and discouraging dissent <laughs> and uh, trying to bring the team around to some particular way of thinking, which you may think is possibly not the best way, don't go directly at the leader and say, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, that will raise their all their defenses from an uh, authority point of view. So we say, hey, this is your call. We're going to support you. I got the team. We're ready to go 100%. If you want to launch the product next week, we can we can do that. Then you give them choice. Would you like to hear what, how we see it? Choice helps make it safe. They can say no. Would you like to hear up here in your office? You want to come down to the, the, the deck? You you know What do you want to do? Just take small steps. Hey, let's, let's let's describe the situation. Okay, now tell us what to do. If, if, I'm assuming you're trying to move from a very highly command and control. Uh, and then the next time you say, okay, now we'll describe the situation. And here's what we think. And then we'll describe the situation. Here's what we think. And here's what we recommend. Now we describe the situation. Here's what we think. Here's what we recommend. And if you weren't here, this is what we would do. But but it's got to be it's got to be done in a way that respects the authority of the person. Because if you don't, they're not going to hear what you have to say past. What they're going to hear is, oh, you think I'm an idiot and you can do my job better than me. And by the way, I've done that more times than I'm comfortable admitting. This has been Ideas Elevated from Comcast NBC Universal Lift Labs. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. For more information and to find us on social, head to ComcastNBCULift.com or check out the show notes. Ideas Elevated is a Q9 production. This episode was hosted and produced by Kevin Schmidlin with associate production by Angela Gervasi, mixing and editing by Max Graham, and theme music by The Last Generation on Film. From Lift Labs, I'm Danielle Kahn. Until next time.